Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this, I think, is episode 158. I had a chat with Caroline Esther. Now, she's someone I had met years ago, and I know her music, I know lots about her, we've, we've interacted, corresponded, and I had thought a while ago I'd like to talk to her for the podcast, and then out of the blue, she messaged me a couple of weeks ago and said, I've got a brand new solo album coming out, and... Uh, you know, do you want to hear it? And I said, not only do I want to hear it, I want to talk to you about it, and I want to talk to you about all the things you've done. And she said, oh, I, re- I really don't like doing interviews. I really don't like talking about myself. And I said, oh, well, you know, we know each other. Come come around and have a cup of tea, and we'll see what happens. Well, I, I love this conversation. She was great. I don't know why she was worried about talking about herself. Uh, Caroline, if you don't already know, was the drummer in the Verlaines. She was the drummer in the Chills. Uh, she has played with people like Barry Saunders, the Waratahs, Hobnail Boots. Uh, she was in a band called Beat Rhythm Fashion in the early 80s in Wellington. And they have um, a version of that band has reformed and just released their first ever new album, brand new band album, the only album that that band ever did, full album. They did three singles back in the day. This version is touring the country. I'll, I'll put a um, link up to the dates that they're doing and to where you can get that album. And then just after that, in, in April, Caroline's doing a bunch of shows to promote her new solo album called Lucky. You'll hear a couple of snippets of the songs from that on this. So she's a, not just a drummer and a fantastic drummer, but a, a, a singer-songwriter, a guitarist. Uh, she's a music teacher. Um, and, and you know, she also had a band for years where she was, I guess, kind of the co-front person and songwriter called Let's Planet. So she's really done it all. And, um, and drums is her first love, though, so it was fun talking to her a lot about drums. Um, and I just, I absolutely loved this conversation. Uh, I loved getting Caroline's story on tape because, man, she's interacted with, with so many great and intersected with so many great New Zealand musicians and been an important part of some of our important bands at an important time. Uh, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Tea Leaf Tea, La Pity Chocolat and Yeasty Boys, and I hope you enjoy me and Caroline having a chat. Uh, this is Sweetman Podcast. Thanks for listening. You were looking down at something. I love people who are so... My husband is the most amazing speech maker and talker. Mm. I just... All I, I think, and I obviously... I don't feel as though I think like that, but I, when it comes to speaking, I lose words. Yeah. I've always been like that. It's not some dementia that's just come on recently. <laughs> I've just always been like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so I'll do my best to sort of, you know, No, you, you will be fine. I was thinking that, I mean, I had seen you play before this and knew who you were and knew some of the things you'd done, but I seem to recall I met you in Napier when we were double booked for the oh. same gig at a pub. Do you remember that? No. no. You, I, turned, I, I, used, do it. I was yes. playing in an Irish band right. and we were double booked at O'Flaherty's in Napier with Let's Plan It. Oh, yes. And there was no really, from memory, there was no sort of awkward standoff, this is our gig, no, this is our gig. It was completely the pub's fault. Yeah. And the arrangement was, well, you guys were just going to play a set anyway, yeah. whereas we were a kind of cosy club band that played for about nine hours. Every yes. Night. So, so <laughs> I, the stage and I enjoyed I enjoyed telling people afterwards that you guys actually opened for us, right? <laughs> because you were our opening act, because that's that's what made the most sense. And I, I feel like we might have actually done two nights, or maybe we did two nights and you were just there for the first night. But no, I don't remember. Maybe Sorry. yeah, but anyway, that's I do remember having a big conversation with you. All right. Let's plan it. Must have had a new. 
EP or album out at the time. Yeah. And I feel like this was the very late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, maybe 2000, something like that. Makes sense because it was early 90s. Mid late late nineties that we were playing. Most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd seen you play with Barry and stuff like that. Um, you know, prior to that, yeah. so I, you know, I knew who you were and stuff. But that was that was that was the first time I met you, and I guess we've bumped into each other a few times since then and and corresponded a bit. But you have this rich history of playing in. Oh, actually, and we also we've both we've both been members of the Spines. Yes. Yeah, so we and you're about the fifth person I've talked to for this podcast that's been in the spines at one point. So I'm trying to collect them all up eventually. <laughs> so yeah, I went from the spines to beat with them fashion. So I went yeah. from overplaying something terrible with the spines, which was just it was fantastic fun. The yeah. rock the rock stuff to minimal stuff with Beat Rhythm Fashion and they mm. made me listen to The Cure and listen to Echo and the Bunnymen and do very minimal fills and it was so much fun too. Mm. It really was that beautiful mm. sort of open backbeats stuff without too much happening. Mm. Now you've got this, I'll keep referring to it as a kind of rich history of playing with so many bands including so many well-known and well-loved um, Kiwi bands as mostly a drummer, but that's not the only thing you do, and you've you've got a brand new solo album we'll talk about. But um, drums, I've, you know, I've sort of read and heard it described that drums is where everything kind of clicked for you, so it wasn't the first thing you did with music. No. Do you want to talk me through how music kind of came into your life? Yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah, right from the very beginning. Five years old. Yeah. Being the youngest violinist in the youth orchestra in Palmerston North and being dragged along to violin lessons by my mum who'd sit in the kitchen and drink homemade wine with uh, my teacher's husband while I suffered my violin lessons for year after year after year <laughs> and I look back and I'm, I use all that now you know we did theory and violin and piano lessons um, from five right through and I was incredibly lucky and incredibly privileged to have that sort of stuff but at the time of course you don't realise mm. I just want to be well, you used the words "dragged along." I was going to say, when did you, when did it, when, when did you stop being dragged along to things, and when did you rush out the door to something uh, to do well, with music? When I was about, when I was about twelve, I went off and got my first job in a chip factory and bought my first guitar. So I'd fallen in love with the guitar by that stage, but there was no way that my mother was going to buy a guitar for me mm. after all the money she'd spent on violin and. Uh, piano lessons and I got up to about grade 6 on the violin later viola because it was a bigger mm. beautiful instrument the viola and I've, I've used that a few times on albums which has been lovely and I can play a bit of piano but not grade grade 7 piano but always by ear I'd mm. always just struggle through my exams mm. a lot of ear ear playing and I guess all of that stuff you know it, it's it's all foundation stuff it stays with you, yeah. as, you as you move through other instruments and other styles you have, it does. you have these reference points and you have this foundation this yeah. this idea yeah yes so yeah it's meant that I can arrange I've got a, an ear so I yeah. can arrange stuff which in my job that I do at the moment which I adore you know I can use all those skills that I learned then for arranging for children for bands and things but yeah drums was a complete accident really I just remember when I saw a drum kit in the paper, I was just about to jump into my box am I going to move up to do my first year teaching in Hawara. Mm. And tiny little car packed up, ready to go, and then I saw a drum kit in the paper. I never even thought about drumming. Never. 
And then I realised when I saw this drum kit for sale and I just went out, I bought it on the spot. Well, in those days you didn't buy it on the spot, but I went and got yeah. it as quickly as you did in those days. But um, I realised that whenever I'd gone to see bands, I'd just sit on the dance floor and watch the drummer. You know, and I'd never thought about doing it myself. I just loved going out to bands, watching bands, but I'd never thought about drumming myself. And then it was like discovering something mm. incredible that you just did not, you didn't know that you were looking for. I think I put in my bio, you know, you just mm. find something that you hadn't realised you were looking for. Mm. And I did know immediately that it would take me travelling and it was my thing. That was always going to be my thing. And I, I do love it. You know? So do you, I mean... Do you consider it the primary instrument? It's, I do. it's a weird one for you, right? Because it's the primary instrument by which a lot of people know you. Yeah. And in terms of your involvement with other bands, it's the yeah. primary thing you're known for. But I then do. you have this you have this songwriting career or, or component of yeah. your career. I do. I do consider it my primary in- instrument and I probably put more time into drums than I put mm. into any other instrument, but the same token, I'm not a great drummer. I'm just, I've got a feel for it, and I love it, and I, but I, I've never spent, for years and years I haven't practised, you know, yeah. I don't practise, yeah, I'm yeah. not a practiser, but I was initially, I used to practise for yeah. hours. But you did it to get to the, yeah, to a, to the level that you wanted to get to, yeah. to be able to function. Yeah. But I spread, I, I'm, I'm quite... There's this and that and the other yeah. thing. There's my job where I work with children and music, which I adore, and then there's playing guitar and the songwriting. And there's, I'm not fabulous at any of them, but I love it. You know, and I, but you make it work. Yeah, it works for work. you. Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah. So if, if drums was this revelation, how did you go about learning? Did you just play along to records? Was it the cliche yeah, of just playing along to records? Yeah, I, I, I left teaching, and I remember going out to stay in a house in the country out of Palmerston North, actually, and setting up the drums and playing to Little Feet, yeah. Stevie Wonder, just all my rhythms and stuff, mm. all those sorts of really lovely, funky, bat beat bands. And I yeah, just played well, and played and played, and I taught myself because I could read music, and I knew how, how to teach myself because mm. I had that theory background. Mm. And that's too great sort of examples of feel drumming right there when you said oh I'm not a great drummer but I've got a feel like yeah. Stevie Wonder records Little Feet records yeah they're good things to you know Beatles records they're good things to the band they're, yeah. they're all good things to listen to yeah. aren't they and to aspire to I mean and then you know I, I would I, I would argue I think you're a really great drummer I mean I'm I still remember the first time I saw you play and I thought <laughs> and it was like a little kind of stand up kit you know with Barry the sort of two, yeah, yeah. basically a sort of two piece kit yeah. I think Floor Tom and a snare, yeah, and I just thought this was great. This is like, like, because I, I was probably like a first year student or something at the time, and I just remember thinking, this is kind of legitimising busking or something was yep. my first thought. You know, it was like because because you were on a stage, yeah, and it was like I've seen people busking, yeah, doing this sort of thing, but you're performing, you know, yeah. and you're not. It's not like someone's robbed half your kit. It's like you've deci- you've chosen. It's an active decision, and yeah. still my favourite. One of my favourite things to do is sing and play with Barry in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you talked about joining the Spines and then going from them to Beat Rhythm Fashion. So when, there must be a band before the Spines. When what? When do you first sort of start actually taking the instrument out on the road and playing? Oh, well, I left teaching and played back the Bond, which is $600. That's just such a relief to get out of teaching. Yeah. 
I love teaching, but it's, it's just too hard. And so I went to Wellington and got on one of those PEP schemes with the council yeah, to yeah, run. Yeah. And so you'd work. So and I joined a band called Hot City Cats, and that was through Rob Marnie, who was later the bass player with the Spines, with mm, me. Mm. But he was in the Hot City Cats, and we all flattered together around Devon Street and knew each other, and then this band was about a six-piece band. Mm. And it was jazz. And the first time we ever played together was in the Summer City in the Dell. Mm. I was so nervous, I had two glasses of wine could hardly <laughs> could hardly count to four I'm starting, uh, to, see the, I'm starting to see why the drum kit got smaller that's right <laughs> but that was the first gig, so that was the Hot City Cats and it yep. was, um, we had a singer and we had Neil Duncan on saxophone and Nick Brown on violin mm, mm. really, really good band oh, so straight away I can see these people that have connected to you and yeah. bands over the years because yeah. Neil was a spine Neil was a spine yeah and, yeah. and Rob Money was a spine yeah. and I would accredit him with really because you don't know how good you are or whether you've got anything until someone says look this is what you do this is how you do it and you're doing really well and he mm. did he was really encouraging and it was not necessarily style of music I was totally used to but he it was basic 2-4 stuff um, mm. but then from there I just grew and grew and grew and grew and that was the uh, and then shortly after that was the spines. So that was the first band was the um, Hot City Cats. Then came the spines, as far as far removed from the Hot City Cats as you can possibly imagine. Now, do you play on the first spines EP? The first. I'm trying to remember. Fishing. Moment. Fishing, I think. Yeah. Das John. I can't remember whether I play on it or not. <laughs> I think you're on that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. then. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, because I was listening to some stuff from from that fishing EP recently just going like I, I guess I always think this with John like in the best possible way where do these songs come from like yeah. I can kind of see some of the the musical things and I mean I know John well now so I know some of the musical um, ideas that he was interested in but mm. then the way he you know the way he sort of folds those into what he wants to do yeah means that his songs are completely unique they are really very unique I've often wondered the same thing myself. Mm. You wonder what goes on in his... If you look at his paintings, though, I suppose yep. they're sort of like that. They're the musical equivalent of what he's painting and how he's painting and what he's interested in. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've heard him described, and I think, you know, he, he, he would call himself it too, on some level, a poet, but I also think, like, and this is part of being a poet, but... Um, I, I guess what it comes down to is he's he's telling stories. You yeah. know, he's telling stories with his songs. He's telling stories with his painting. Mm. Yeah, you know, he was telling stories on my website every week about his life. Yeah, actually writing kind of stories. Yeah, um, memoir fragments. So it's it's all kind of versions of storytelling with him. Yeah, and they are all kind of deeply connected. Yeah, mm. and he has a passion for the music, which, and I'm not quite sure how technically. You know, good he's ever been, John. Yeah. And but he's he just brings it to the stage. He brings it, what he brings, and that's the vehicle for his yeah for his poetry, his poetry mm. and his stories. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The spines was part of a. I mean, this is an interesting scene in Wellington in the early. We're talking the very early eighties. Mm. And eighty one, eighty two, eighty two, especially for me. And yeah. Because I was in Dunedin by eighty three, so eighty two was the year of the spines. Mm. I think in the end of that year I would have been the last six months with Beat Rhythm Fashion because I remember the Spines playing at a gig Yeah. Beat Rhythm Fashion played at and then their manager Matt Birch 
rang me or got hold of me. Poached you. Poached me for yeah. Better Than Fashion. Right, right. Yeah. And so you you hook up with them after they've actually recorded their yes. singles? Yeah. So, and so how long do you... Well, I mean, let's jump forward. So the interesting thing about Beat Rhythm Fashion is the band has just released an album mm. last week or mm. two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Mays. Just an incredible man. Yeah. <laughs> an incredible man. He's just unstoppable. Yeah. He gets his mind on something and that's it. Yeah. It's going to happen. So to fill in the blank there, so the band records three singles in its lifetime. Yeah. You join towards the tail end of that yeah. after those singles are recorded and then now we're about to hear the Beat Rhythm Fashion album yeah. which is altogether a different band but sort of the essence of the essence of well, the band with enough core components for it to be yep enough core components and Rob Mays was such a huge fan and he's a bass player so yes. he's just stepped into the role into the role into yeah. Dean's into Dean's shoes yeah and what what are your um what are your feelings of the... And you're going to play some shows. Mm. And what are your feelings around that and I guess around the album and what, you know, how... Are you someone that needs to be sort of heavily um, courted and convinced to do these things or are you just like, no, I'll do it? It happened so naturally. It was because the recording happened. Um, but when Rob first suggested it, I... You know, it was nothing but... Yeah, it'd be a great idea, but you never know what people are going to do, whether they're going to follow through or not. Mm. But I'd forgotten who, who Rob is. <laughs> he never sees anything that he's not going to follow through on. So next minute, tapes are arriving, and you hear about people recording from different parts of the world, and that was exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. I mean, Rob was in Tokyo, and Nino was in Melbourne, and they were on two split screen, and I was in the studio in the surgery with Andrew Downs on the drums, and I'd linked the songs, and then off we went, and we just put all the drums on them, and it all happened. So the next minute is, oh, it'd be great to do a tour. And I was like, no, that'll never happen. And the next minute, we're doing a tour, and that's yeah. Rob. You know, he's just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's mine on something, that's so, it. Four, four dates to do. And yeah. yeah. It feels very unreal at the moment because they arrive in two sleeps. What's the day Monday? So they get here on Wednesday. Yeah. And we'll spend Wednesday rehearsing, Thursday rehearsing. Then we've got the Radio New Zealand live show on Friday. And then we're down to Christchurch. And, and playing. It, yeah. And it feels very unreal at the moment. I'm just sitting at home playing <laughs> drums to the songs on a CD and hoping that we can all pull it together. And we've all played together. I've played yeah. with Rob before in Throw, yeah. which yeah. I loved, him and yeah. Jeremy Taylor. Yeah. It was great fun. <laughs> really good fun. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't last <laughs> yeah but um yeah yeah that was a great little band so we've all played together so we we know and it feels right you know sitting playing these songs and it feels so good i'm sure it'll be all right yeah yeah um i i keep thinking about and now talking to you like from you as much as i can think from your point of view what an interesting audience that's going to be yeah. you're going to encounter there you're gonna be you know have people coming up telling you they saw you play and you won't remember them. You're going to have yeah. actual old friends you know well. And then there's going to be this sort of audience of people, I guess, my age and younger, that, you know, it's a mythical thing yes. to them until that point, that yeah. they, they arrived too late to ever see the band, but yeah. know, know a couple of the songs, know about them. Yeah, know the reference points. Yeah, yeah, songs. yeah. Know, know where the band fits in and yeah, know yeah, what yeah. the band was trying to do. Yeah. 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 It's going to be an interesting... It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you play, So let's jump back to 82. 
and 83. So you you get poached from the spines to play with beat rhythm fashion. You... Yeah, because Mac Birch and I got together. Like he was managing them. Right. So, and uh, because he'd overseen their three singles um, and he had a first class honours degree in psychology or something, he got onto a, a business course down in Otago in Dunedin. That's how we ended up down there with him. So we sold everything, went to Dunedin. Yeah. And the first day in Dunedin, I went straight to the governor's where I knew Jane Dodd was working. I said, if you ever need a drummer in the Villains, give us a call, because I had no idea what to do. So that's what I did first. Had a cup of coffee at the governor's and spoke to Jane and, and Graham rang. I, I, pretty quickly, actually, like within a week, I think, Graham had rung and we were walking along the George Street up to, his, up to his flat in George Street and signing up. Yeah, yeah. So you... You play with not one but two seminal flying nun bands because you just happen to move to Dunedin yep. ultimately on a whim. Yep. Which is about as great a New Zealand flying nun related story as you can get, I think. Yeah, especially, yeah, and especially because I really didn't know anything about That was when I, I fell in love with the indie flying nun mm. New Zealand music thing. I didn't know much about it. I'm from a pretty traditional sort of. Um, yeah, background musically, and that just opened up. It started opening up mm. mine. I got through that year. I was, had a bit of a rough year, actually, to be perfectly honest, in Dunedin. But yeah, six months with the Verlaines, and um, yeah, it wasn't it. It was. It was a and the Verlaines at that point are still, you know, crystallising, still, still really forming properly, or they, or they're I think they already. Definitely, definitely thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, no, that's. Oh, I don't know how many drummers they'd had. They'd certainly been going for a while. And they'd had, you know, the, the big songs out that had um, Verlaine, Verlaine, um, Death and the Maiden. Death and the Maiden yeah. out. And I didn't do any recording with them. Right. They may have had their first album out. Yeah. At that point. But no, they were definitely a, a happening. So yeah. But they just happened to be in between. Now, is it um, a similar thing to you playing with the spines and then moving to beat, beat rhythm? Do you get poached or how do you move away from... We were in in Dunedin for a limited time because Mm. the course that Matt was doing for it was a year. Mm -hmm. So we moved back to Wellington and that was 1984. So I sort of had a bit of a staggery 84, 85 and then the journalism course from 86. So 84, 85, I think they were in the circus block four in that little space and Mm. six of it four and Let's Planet were up and running. Um, in that period of time. Then Martin started ringing about towards the end of 1986, I think, after finishing off the journalism course, and he started ringing saying, we're ready to go to America, and are you keen on joining the Chills? So that was when that, how that came about. But he wasn't, you knew him I, from your stint. I didn't know him well, but I've but certainly... you knew of him. I he was met him known. Yeah, yeah. in Dunedin, yeah, once yeah. or twice. And we, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? So he basically says, "Come on the road with us. We're going to go. We want you to play drums." Mm-hmm. And you say, "I say, I'd love to do that, but I want to finish my journalism course first." <laughs> and then, as soon as that was finished in November, I said, "Yes, yeah, let's go." Yeah, that was pretty odd. That was getting me from Wellington and Andrew from somewhere else and Justin from somewhere else, and then we all meet together in the practice room and there were newspapers and cameras flashing and we were practicing and. Then we were on the plane, so mm. that was oh, our first gig actually, Hamilton, New Zealand tour. So that was, yeah, another weird <laughs> beginning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Uh, I mean, 
the Chills, obviously, are having a great run at the moment. Yeah. Uh, after, I guess, um, not quite floundering, but just yeah. always existing. And now they're sort of having their... It's a bit second, of a... Yeah, it's almost a victory one. lap. It's Real, a, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah Very happy for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really well, good. But you were there in that, essentially, that first run, because they'd done their early grunt work. Yeah. Formed, got going, ha- had a catalogue of songs. Yeah. When overseas came back, yeah. so they made a bit of a mark over there, came yeah. back, and this was the second time. Second, second time, time overseas. Time, yeah. So what sort of shape is the band in when you're in it, do you think? I think like, it was really good. Yeah. I think it was in very good shape. Yeah, I think it was a good a good lineup, and um, I was sorry. Sorry to muck it up for them, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I had, I was just naked. No, it was, it's really very hard work, and it gets sick of being poor in my ears for really still got tinnitus now I can hear it now but you know before it got too bad and uh, mm. whenever I play I'll be play, I'll be playing with earplugs and people with impatient I'll be no mm. it'll really protect your hearing but um, I think I think the chills are in very good shape at, mm. that, at that point and we had a great great tour two two good tours around Europe yeah and you say you let the band down do you I feel like that you feel like that you actually yeah. still feel like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because it was um it was. <laughs> I think we were going well, and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what would have happened at that point. I can't think of any long-term plans. We we came back. We did Australia quickly in Australia, and then I'm not quite sure what Martin's plans were after that. But yeah, I suppose I was just getting on with the next part of, of my life at that stage. But which was what? Which was looking um, for looking for something a little bit more solid than running around the world with bands. Yeah, that was it was very hard. Um, there were lots of reasons why it was hard, but it was hard, and I couldn't see it getting any easier. Um, and then yeah, I did some journalism and started working at Slowboat Records, mm. and didn't quite know what I was doing except trying to. I suppose I was trying to get some money together to buy. A house, or to get a bit more settled somewhere, or yeah. So let's plan it. Slovak Records, and that was the next few years. Hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing you in Slovak Records. I rem- I remember Slovak Records sort of discovering it myself. Like there was no like for me, there was no mythical story that I needed to go there. No. I just found it, and then found it was rich with kind of backstory because I. You know, when I found it, I think it was like 1995, so it had been around yeah. for a decade, or just about. Yeah. And uh, but no one had told me to go there. I just found it, and as it does when you're that age, and when records matter to you, it's like discovering a world. Yes. And then how wonderful to find that it had these, you know, that the people that worked there were musicians, yeah. which is pretty standard, but when you're just finding this stuff out when you come from a small town and the people in the music store in the small town didn't know anything. Yeah. So it was a pretty pretty cool thing. So you probably served me in in Slow Boat a few times and um, you're doing your music on the side. Yeah. And what's what's happening with Let's Planet, that becomes a... I guess that's where your songs first... Yeah. That's that's the first proper vehicle for your songs, your songwriting. It was, let's plan it. And I'd had written songs in the past for at school, I mm. suppose, secondary school song compositions and things. But I wasn't, and I still don't feel like a songwriter. Not really. Not when you look at <laughs> real songwriters. 
But Alan Galloway, who started Let's Planet and rang me to ask me to drum with Let's Planet, was so encouraging and so positive and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to keep writing. Mm. And that's the only, it would be probably the only reason why I kept writing and got more confident. Mm. And I've got, yeah, we did three albums and probably a third of the songs were mine on the Let's Planet albums. In that time, so I was at Slow Boat from 1987 to 1997, and during that time, Let's Planet did some great supports. We did the REN support, Proclaimers, Paul Kelly, um, Split Ends, Crowded House, um, and yeah, some wow. great supports. Yeah, wow. And recorded three albums and later an EP. And then my daughter was born. 12 weeks premature in May 1997, so things changed again. <laughs> One minute I was at slow boat behind the counter, and the next minute I was yeah. at the neonatal unit at Wellington Hospital wow. for eight weeks. Yeah, and people, a lot of people at slow boat didn't even know I was pregnant. So right, yeah. Where's Carolina? She's, she's <laughs> She'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah, slow boat was interesting because I learned a lot over 10 years, but I didn't know very much about music. Not really. I mean, I loved it. Yeah. But the knowledge that Dennis had and Steve yes. had, it's like yeah. it was just astronomical. And I was just this sort of thing that cleaned CDs and tried to pick up some information. And, you know, I was I was not, I want my mind of information in the least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I'd known then what I know now, I would have been much more useful in the shop, Dennis. But anyway, it was fun. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking... It's, you were so were you playing drums in Let's Planet? Yeah, because I mean I de- I definitely know you had a drummer by the time I saw you. So how did that work? Did you play on the records and always have a live drummer, or did you play? No, I always played drums live until the last until towards the end. Towards the end, when I stepped up and I just I really hate being up the front. I'm not a good front person. Yeah, I'm nervous, and it took me right back to my teachers' college days of pr- trying to sing up the front and shaking so hard I couldn't hold my guitar. So I would, I'd love being at the back. I love being in the band and I could sing and be part of it, but be mm. at the back and mm. not have to be front person. But um, I got more confident and managed to do a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so the, okay, so what, what, what happens next really for you? It's, I guess, it's motherhood. Motherhood, is, let's plan it. Yeah. Uh, we moved out to my mother-in-law's place out at Power to Hanui and hunkered down for five years really just I wasn't working anymore, we had no income really, yeah. Alan was painting and trying to write for Lex Planet and so we did that for five years and I would do demos, I did some demos, quite a lot of demos, so a few of the songs on the album I demoed a long time ago mm. and they're slow growers and I just developed them and arranged them and we played them and Let's Planet would play occasionally. Mm. Um, but you also must yeah. around this time have connected with Barry. Yes, I'd connected with Barry while I was at Slow Boat because mm. he was a good friend of Dennis's. Right. So in the last year at Slow Boat, Barry would come in and then he, I could see him sort of looking at me sideways and I knew that he'd mm, probably seen us me play with Let's Planet and things. Yeah. And he um, is a very considered sort of a person. He... Uh, he waits till he knows exactly what he wants, and then then he approached, he approached me, and he um, and I started drumming with him, as he say, as the cut down drum kit with yeah. the floor tom and yeah. the snare, and he made it very clear that's what he wanted. He was 
focused oh, so on Oh, so that's singing. as much his idea as yours? I think he wanted just to cut down the thing, mm. not a full rock sound. Mm. Um, and so he's it, probably trying to... I was just going to say, like, when you said he's considered... He's trying to establish himself as a solo act and I yeah. guess have some differentiation between that and the Waratahs, right, too. Definitely. So maybe that's part of it. Like, yeah. just... We're, we're going smaller because I've been in a band. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on... The songs and... On the songs and the singing and it was Barry and me and Alan Norman mm-hmm. on, and he would play a little piano, perhaps on two or three songs and piano accordion. accordion. Yeah. yeah. So it was a beautiful trio. It was so much fun. Yeah. And we did some amazing supports. We did support for Bob Dylan down in Christchurch. Wow. That was Patti Smith. Yeah, yeah. I saw the Wellington version of that. Outrageous. Yeah. I thought she wiped the floor them that night. (laughs) I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people did. But uh, you know, since seen them both separate and um, and they both put on good shows. But I feel like yeah, on that night, she had the upper hand. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We recorded that. The Magnetic South album. Yes, yeah. It was. I love that album. Yeah, it's great. Great set of songs. Yeah. And so, when do you find? I mean, you know, how do you find? One of the great things about you playing with Barry and those songs of his from that time and the recordings is is the blend of your voices. Mm. So how does that like? Is that just a happy discovery? Like it's a total joy and yeah. happy discovery. Yeah. yeah. Just a nice, I get in a, in a way it's a fluke. Like obviously yeah. you can both sing, yeah. but the point is some voices work so well yeah. together, and you can never really quite plan that. No, it's like siblings' voices yeah. often work well together. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like that. It's yeah, I sort of feel like that. We do just our voices, just the timbres and things, just knit in. Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah. yeah. The midnight train is winding low. I'm so lonesome, I could cry. Yeah, luckily, it's, it's also a pitch thing, and you know, for some reason our pitch, you know, you try and harmonise. Uh, some of the problems that I'm thinking about with Beat With Fashion, I really want to be singing with Nino, but they're difficult keys for me to sing mm. um, and harmonise with him, so mm. that's going to be interesting mm. in the flesh when we start practising the next day or two <laughs> to see how that works. Yeah. But Barry was just, from the start, was just bang, off we went. Yeah. Totally natural. Yeah, and that's yeah. A, that's been a long-running kind of connection, musical yeah. association. You guys still play together sometimes, yeah. still end up on the bill together, do yeah. some stuff together. Yeah, and he yeah. rings yeah. probably twice, twice a week Yeah. to say yeah. hello. And he's been really supportive. When Meg was, when Meg was my daughter... I was eight weeks in the anatomy unit and I'd get home to my flat in Newtown and there'd be soup and a note on the front doorstep that was Barry. Mm. He's a very good man. Yeah. He's a really good man. And that connection's always been there. He's a fantastic friend. Yeah. Yeah. How long may he last? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's doing, uh, he's doing good gigs still and good records when he puts them out. Yeah. You know, he's he's not going to lose what he's got, I don't think. No. It's, it's, um... <laughs> It's just there for him now, you know. It's just it's all about accessing the right, the right songs, but he's never going to let you down. No, you know. I think he's he's probably grown into himself a long time ago, but yep. I just feel like it's so solid now. Whenever I watch him, he just plugs in. I don't yeah. know how he does it because he he still gets really nervous before yeah. he goes on stage. Yeah, and you can be. We played at the Martin 
Players Theatre where I grew up in Martin. Mm. The last time I'd been on that stage was I was Munchkin in The Wizard of Oz in the, in a, when I was eight on the stage there. But, and he was backstage pacing, nervous, nervous. And he always, what should we play first? What should we play first? So every time we can play six, six nights in a row, mm. it's the same every time. Mm. And then he gets on stage and he plugs in and he's got this amazing energy. Just, it's just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've, you mentioned all the support slots that Let's Planet did which is amazing like in terms of some of the names that you mentioned and obviously the Patty Smith and Bob Dylan thing with Barry and there's probably one or two others that you've with done Barry. yeah along the way oh, with, Tony well, Joe White I was going to say I think that's where I think that's where I might I definitely saw you guys play at that yeah. and What's not St James? The one James Cabaret. James Cabaret. I'm trying to think if that was the first time I saw you play with him or if I saw you... I feel like I would have seen you guys do your own show, like a Barry Saunders show. Yeah. First, but that was a, that was a really wonderful gig all around. I was around. pregnant then too. Was, right. Yeah, yeah, I was about five months pregnant with me. It was incredible. And meeting Tony Joe White. Didn't talk to him a lot, but yeah. coming down the stairs... Hero, yeah, hero. So listen to him a lot in Slovak records. And well, records. I just re- I remember people just sat on the floor at yeah. that gig. Yeah, and just you know, and then like people stood up when Tony Joe came out and he sat down on his chair as he did, and he, he just up on yeah, and he, he <laughs> stood. Th- I'm sure he muttered something about why you're standing, and so everyone just sat back down. Oh. Pretty much, it was amazing. But I just remember it being just having. Like right from when you guys started playing, just it was one of the great gigs for me for oh. the longest time. It just had the most incredible kind of vibe attached to it. I'm you glad know? to hear you say that. And it, it felt like that. Genuinely like, felt like a double bill, you know, like not yeah. like you guys are just the local support for an international. It felt like this is a paired billing yeah. that's been chosen and it, because it works, and and you were treated on, you know, kind of felt like you were treated on nearly an equal level, yeah, pretty it much, felt and like as that much as yeah. Wow. Well, what I was going to ask you was, I mean, you sort of started talking about Tony Joe White and I, and I interrupted, but what I wanted to know was what interactions or non-interactions have you had with some of these people that you open with? Is there a... Do you go... Do you, you don't strike me as someone who goes knocking on the door to get an autograph or to meet the person you're playing with, but... Not very good you, at it. I did it with Grant <laughs> McLennan. Yeah. Because I just idolised the guy between. Yeah. I just... Adore the go betweens. I always have and I always will. And I did it with Grant McLean. Oh, and Ed, Ed um, Cooper. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do do that. Yeah. But I let their gigs rather than doing. No, no, but you stuff. would, but yeah, but when you're in the in the support band, do you, do no. you have. Uh, you're not, what I'm saying is you're not trying to seek access to them. It's no. Just if it's a natural thing, it is, and if it's not, it's just a job. No, and they're always. And meet Michael Stipe or anything, but mm. I think he said well done to Alan or something. But I didn't talk to him. Yeah. Um, and Neil, what's his name? Neil Crowded House. Finn. Finn. He yeah, lovely guys. Yeah. No, but I didn't. No, we don't. Yeah. Like so, I didn't go. I just didn't want to leave them alone. They want yeah, to be yeah. left alone. Huh? Yeah. You know, you don't want to go and harass anybody. So yeah. no, I didn't really get to meet people. Yeah. Meet the bass player. I think and. Did the Joe Cocker tour as well? That yeah. was amazing. Met yeah the drummer from the Joe Cocker tour. He was right. he was really friendly and yeah, really yeah. nice and you know but no you don't you go chasing. Yeah yeah and that's kind of a, that's a little bit of a drummer thing, isn't it? They tend to drummers tend to find each other yeah. and, and 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 have a natter about 
I really like that symbol you thought Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good opener. Yeah, yeah. Or formative recordings that they listen to, That's you know, right. like, you know, you've got to hear this particular James Brown live album, oh. you know, or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not so good at that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's only because I'm very shallow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know very much. <laughs> so you've got a solo album coming out. It's just come out. You've got yes. A... Well, it's not actually supposed to be out until mm. April the sixth. And I've got someone doing the publicity. She says, "What are you doing, releasing it on Bandcamp already?" And well, I don't know how to do all these things. So everything comes flying at me. So I sort of sit up all night pressing yes, yeah. yes, go, and lining things up and then saying yes, go. And then suddenly it's released too early and she's furious about it. But that's all right. It's what it is. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I was trying to work that out myself. Because oh, I was like, because you, you gave me a sneaky link to it to listen to and I enjoyed it. And then the next thing I see, oh, it's actually on Bandcamp. And I, and I wondered, has this been brought forward or is this a mistake? It's a mistake. So how it really is, is but people can check it out on Bandcamp, but the CDs are going to be available available later like, even though I'm posting up <laughs> CDs through bank I don't know how to do all this stuff I'm hopeless <laughs> at it and have been very very stressed I got my first good night's sleep last night trying to do all that it's very stressful you ask Rob Mays about mm. the BRS stuff it's just awful mm. for someone like me who's just mm. I mean computers uh, the computers just used to turn themselves off whenever I went anywhere yeah. near them you know that for me it's been really really hard why are you putting out an album of your own songs in 2019 on CD? Well, it's very good. I just said that, so it's not it's not a concern yeah. of quality. But what what um, what what's driven you to do it? Uh, nothing has driven me to do it except <laughs> having some songs. Having some songs and some friends who said, "No, you can't just." My intention was just to get it done yeah. and to get ten copies made, one for my mum, my mum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And one for my husband and one for my sister who lives in New Plymouth. Basically, you know, yeah. that's three and there's another sort of seven that can go to a couple of friends who have been quite... But those friends said, you can't do that. You know, you've spent so long just... Because it has been a long time. It's been about eight years. Yeah. And I was never in a hurry to do it. I just wanted to get it done properly. And I, there was only one person I wanted to do it with and that was David Long because mm. I knew his sound mm. and I knew that we'd be, he'd be lovely to work with. And so it took a long time because of many things. It's always the consideration yeah. of money and paying for stuff. Not He was very amazing on that front. But he's very busy. Um, so finding the time and he'd be right and I wouldn't. And so it took that long to get it finished. So it's just happened that it's ready now. And, uh, and I decided, yeah, well, might as well if I'm going to put it out in any way, shape or form without just doing 10 copies and I'm going to do 200 copies and do it properly. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's now. Yeah. So, and it's just a little diary of little things in my life, really. Yeah. But you know. you're going to play some shows and yeah. you're going to actually, so it's a, suddenly this little thing mm. is big. It's turned to a medium <laughs> big thing. A medium, it's at yeah. least medium, yeah. Well, there's no point in going to some places because nobody knows who I am really what's the point in going I'm trying to do a show in Auckland and it's always been difficult out there and difficult to get to people and difficult to get people out but I've played in my bands I love Meow I love the Muscle and mm. I have never played at Fairfield House in Nelson I've heard such good things about it and it sounds like a wonderful place to play um, Paikakariki Hall I just love playing there and people come and Let's mm. Planets played there and I played there 
often enough to know that people will come. Mm. And Martin Players Theatre, I don't know why there, except we did a support for Barry and it was fantastic and they've got a really good setup there mm. and people just, they come because mm. it's a lovely hall and people run it, love music. and So it's five five shows at the moment. And then we've got a really good duo show. Alan and I just do this play as a duo. Mm. So what I'd love to get would be a good support for you know someone like Lucinda Williams or mm. something like that who comes yeah, here and yeah. we can just go around and, and ex- get a bit more exposure like that you know, yeah. and, or just do smaller cafes smaller places and yeah because it's, yeah, it's never going to be a big thing it is what it is you know it's so you just do the best you can mm. when did you get um, do you want to talk a little bit about the um, I mean, you've referenced it, but do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of music education stuff you're doing, the teaching and coordinating in schools? Yeah, it's a, I've been at the same school for 16 years. Mm. But to me, if you're working in music, you know, in that sort of environment, it's I'm lucky. I mean, the environment's incredible. It's a really good school, very supportive. I do have my own room now, so often you'd go to teach in a school and they'd say, oh, yeah, just pop over to that corner there, don't worry about the kids coming through and the bells going off, just do your lessons over there. But I've been there so long and I've got my own room. The kids are always changing, you always get new students, the music's always changing. So to me, it's just, even though I've been there 16 years, it's really, everything's fresh. And all those skills that I learnt growing up come in with teaching the bands. I've got a year five and six, quite 20-piece band. Year seven and eight, about 15 or 16 children. I take their intermediate level rock band I take two big choir five year olds which is mm. really good fun they're mm. five year old sort of hundred of them in the room at one time is really entertaining it's really mm. good fun mm. and then two other choirs so and I've got 40 individual students as well on drums and guitar and bass and a bit of singing for some of the older kids mm. yeah I love it it's a fantastic job I guess, yeah, well, I guess if you're going to be involved in something, like, if you have to do something yeah. on the side, there's that, yeah. there's that component that you're actually, I guess, stretching and flexing the muscle, yeah. you know, like you're involved, but but teaching is its own reward, mm. most people that do any kind of coaching or teaching will say, yeah. it starts to feel like a bit of a cliche, but it tends to be the truth, right, mm. that you really do get something from That's it. That's fantastic. Because I trained as a teacher because mm. I love the concept of teaching. Well, that's what and I was thinking was that it, it kind of um, it kind of gives you what you know some entry into the world that you were yeah. looking at full yeah. time at one point. Yeah, you've you've more than dipped a toe into that water now. Yep. Yep. But teaching, more on your teaching terms. In the, yeah. terms. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't teach in the classroom. I'd rip the heads off half the class in about mm. five minutes flat. I just. I don't know how people do it and yet it's not that I wouldn't like the kids that I was ripping yeah. their heads off it's yeah. just that I would I've find it too I've been, hard you know? through, through having a kid going through daycare and now into primary school I've just every year I think that yeah. more and more like you you people the teachers I say you people because it's a range of them yeah. um, are amazing yeah. all of them yeah. all of them you know I've, yeah. I uh, my son through his one daycare and one sc- and three different classes at one school hasn't had a bad teacher I mean mm. they're just all all different levels of great yep. just diff- slightly different styles or whatever but they just patient and nurturing and understanding and yeah. wise and uh and I guess my teachers were too, but as a kid, you don't <laughs> you don't value it or something no. until later. But 
I don't remember. I only remember having one shit teacher, no. one one shitty teacher when I was about eight or nine, and the whole class hated her. She yeah. was awful. Yeah. And maybe now I think like maybe, maybe she was having a pretty bad time. But as yeah. a kid, you don't think that. You just think, why are you so awful? No, no. <laughs> but that's a pretty good strike rate. But the you know, the teachers I've encountered as a, as an adult, as a parent, I just think they're incredible. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, I went on a school trip the other week. And I found myself by the end of the school trip. I didn't yell at any of the kids or raise my voice, but I fucking wanted to. Yeah, you know, yeah, I really, yeah. I really had to hold it in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. No, I don't know either. Yeah. Especially as things get tougher and tougher and tougher and tougher for them. I mean, mm. Mm. all the administrative stuff and all the behavioural stuff, how it's all positive now. So, which is really good. Yeah. But they don't, pick up consequences of actions and things, especially mm. the older children. Mm. And I, I'm, just, I'm not quite sure what the answer is, I really don't know. Mm. But they seem to manage, like, in, in in that situation, just, I don't know, you've got to have so much positivity, so much energy and fun, and then I suppose you, the punishment is that you just take it away, nothing more happens. Yeah. So you just sort of, like, remove it a little bit, and then they realise. But to make that possible, you have to double up on the good, positive stuff, and we, that's what they do. I don't know how they do it all day in, day out. Hmm. A whole bunch of quite difficult kids. And we are, I'm in a decile 10 school. You know, it's, they're very privileged. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what it must be like in some of the, the lower decile schools, not necessarily because of that, but just, it's just tough. It's mm. really tough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, we've all got so many more, I don't know what the word is, distractions and outside influences yeah. so many like parents and kids and and teachers have so many different things vying for their attention and mm. you know the, it's there's no way to say it, the world's different you know I yeah. was, my my parents will say we didn't do that when when you guys were kids we didn't have to go and check our phone and do that and it's like you didn't have a phone no you know it's a, it's a it's an irrelevant argument That's like right. you know it's you're not going to get a medal now for hand washing cloth nappies. You either did it or you didn't, no. and, the, and people can still do that if they want, yeah. or or not. But there are other things going on for a lot of people, and yeah. so the the conversation is sort of uh, well, it's hard to bridge those generations yeah. because it's you know it's impossible because it is diff- literally yeah. different worlds. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the thing I think too with teachers is how they combat all of that. Mm. They've still got all that basic stuff that they still expect to do, and yet mm. they've got all the technology and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Emails. Emails. Yeah. Parents just bombarding teachers yeah. with emails. Oh, did Johnny leave his piece? <laughs> Horrific. Yeah, yeah. Lunchbox behind, because I think yeah. Sarah is trying to snatch it at lunchtime, and I would like you to look into it, you know, and about some 17 of those to get through, let alone everything yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Hard job. Do you think when this album... Well, people can hear it now, but do you think when this album officially gets <laughs> when, when this album officially gets released and people go to these shows and you said you know I just want to do some international supports afterwards and some small things and see what happens, but do you think this is like do you think the gap between this and the next album will be a lot smaller or do you think this will just you know do you start thinking about that already or no <laughs> no I don't I've only got about I've got a two songs that I'd like to put towards a next one possibly mm. I just have not been writing 
for a while. Do you have to be in a... You know, I'm a big believer of just hitting the desk and doing the work, but that's hard to do when so many of us are doing that on top of another job or whatever. Do you have to be in an ideal space to write? Does writing come... Songwriting come fairly easily to you or very difficult? No. I'm shaking my head lots. <laughs> no. I'm not a... Um, I'll occasionally have a good line. I've got probably about three really good lines mm. in the album that I really like. I'll actually use... Way to it. sell it. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm not a self-promoter. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I find it hard. Yeah, so I'm writing. I quite, uh, I'm probably too happy. Too happy a person? <laughs> I yeah, am. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the title of the album, I find it sort of very bit of a slap in the face for some people because lucky is such a shallow word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't, I w- listened to an interview with Jim Moyer with, Tim Minchin yep. and he talked about luck not like that it was luck as in your genes as in I was blessed with a mm-hmm. sunny disposition as in and I am generally I mean those songs are quite a long time coming mm, mm. and I did write a lot for that but the last year eight years I haven't written a lot and I don't know what will happen whether I'll suddenly have space to go right mm. I will sit down take this seriously mm. Sit down and write some songs, Caroline. Well, not, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got a hankering to do it like other people do, and I really admire that, but I don't have it. I'm glad you brought up um, being a generally sort of happy person, because what I, what I have long wondered, and I knew somewhere whether or other I was going to have to ask you this, but you've worked with some idiosyncratic songwriters, men. Mm. particularly across, you know, 30, 40, 30 years. Uh, interesting personalities, quite different, I would imagine. Mm. And if we just think of John McCleary, Graham Downs, Martin Phillips and, and um, Barry Saunders, there's four really great, very different songwriters. And yeah. I've met three of the four of them, so I know that they're very different people. Yeah. How have you managed to be a fit in their band's and how have you found working with so many different people over the years? Are you a bit of a... Have you been a bit of a peacemaker person or...? Um, well, I've always been bought... I don't know if that's the right phrase, but bought into those situations to colour their music. So I know what I'm there to do. I'm there to help mm. create a picture of of their music. So when it comes to the Verlaines, for example, um, they are just wonderful people who were very welcoming and it was very, very, very easy and it was a very natural thing and apart from crime playing really, really loud guitar and asking me to crash far too many cymbals, which is what gave me my bad hearing, I suspect mm. in the first I adore Graham and still do, and his wife Joe. We don't see each other a lot, but we know when we do. We hmm. So it's a friendship. Like it, That was really a friendship thing. John LeClary was a friendship. That was just, he's just such a lovely guy. And hmm. again, I was colouring his music. So you listen to what they want. I've got an ear. I'm a musician first, so I know what I'm doing when it comes to listening and what, what people want. So I'll work with what they want. Hmm. So I'm a very obliging person mm. really I, that's what I'm there for I'm there to fit into their worlds um, and with the chills that was quite different because we were bought from 
we were sort of stuck together from different places and mm. I don't think it worked amazingly well from a, I don't know, personality maybe mm. perspective. Um, I didn't talk a lot with Martin. We didn't communicate a lot. You know, he had his own life with Kate. His partner was over in London, so we were um, in other places, living in other places, and we'd come together for rehearsals and we'd come together for the tour, and he was always flat out with doing what he was doing in promotion, and I spent most time, most of my time probably with Andrew, the keyboard player. Mm. So, But I was still doing my job. I was doing what I was brought in to do. You know? um, mm. uh, and... Yeah, so that's what I'm there to, I do what I'm there to do and I've never had any problem. I don't know what the problems would be. But, mm. <laughs> but it's never been a problem. I, I was I was sort of also thinking like whenever I watched you play and you know, I sort of feel like listening to the new album brought this back in, in mind for me with you as I guess you've sort of talked around this a little bit already, but do you think as someone who describes himself as not not a great drummer but with a bit of a feel, do you think your um, experiences as a songwriter, as I guess uh, an instrumentalist across, you know, some melodic instruments too, and and also as a singer, is that really helpful as a drummer? You know, yeah. you 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 essentially know what it takes to put a song together, yeah. and not all drummers do. Yeah. Not all drummers play other instruments or write songs. It doesn't mean they're not great drummers. No. They, they might be fantastic drummers yeah. and, and maybe because of that singular yeah. focus. But I always think about songwriting drummers and yeah. multi-instrumentalist drummers have an extra layer going on in terms of understanding, having something in, yeah. you know, in, in common with the person who's creating the song. Mm. I, like to, I like to think that I'm a musical drummer and I've certainly heard drummers that aren't yeah you know, and the difference is quite marked you know someone you can tell when someone's sort of listening and, and they're they're an instrument and you can play them like an instrument I mean they're supposed to be an instrument not a something you just whack yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've got a lot of tones and a lot of volume and a lot of unvolume that you could use yeah you know? so yeah yeah I like to be thought of as a musical drummer and I like to think that my ear is uh, that people bring me into their bands and their music because I've got a, a good ear and and I can interpret what they want well. I like um, often I like drummers that I think sort of play more like a percussionist. And yeah. what I quite often find is is when I describe someone as being a drummer who plays more like a percussionist, they're generally someone who hasn't trained as a proper percussionist at all, but they have. Yeah, it is that idea of knowing how to accent something, knowing yeah. how to colour, yeah. you know. And, you know, I, I I think that's true of Ringo Starr. Yeah. I think he's an example of that. And, I, and I've often thought that about your playing too, that I guess probably because the first time I would have seen you play was with Barry, so with the little shortened right. kit for a start. Yeah. But, you know, it is almost like that uh, a, percussive, uh, a percussionist approach to playing yeah. a drum kit. Yeah. That's a lovely, yeah, it's a lovely comparison. Yeah. I've always been a bit scared of percussion because <laughs> yeah. it's such a hugely different mm. area. I feel like a fraud. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not a percussionist and I'm not. I don't have the skills of a percussionist. Yeah, you and get that's those. That's a really you get those thing. people like you know Stuart Copeland from yeah. the Police or even even in his own way Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead who's gone off and studied it afterwards. Yes. they've either trained to begin with classically or they've yeah. gone off because of a passion and really learnt some yeah. stuff. 
Um, and they actually do incorporate proper percussion into not just their kit, but yeah. into their performance. They might even step away from the kit and yeah. work at a... Yeah, I'm not talking about drummers who who do that, but there are drummers who, who basically create that kind of vibe, but on a drum kit still. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Ricky... Gooch. Gooch. He was setting up... I have my... A great example of My that. birthday party. Yeah. And we're at the Paikakariki Hall, and mm. he got there first. Mm. And there was this, the lighting guy was already there, so he'd set up lights on the stage, and the stage just looked amazing. And there was Ricky by himself setting up his drums. Mm. There he sat in the middle of the stage, and then he just burst into play, and it was just extraordinary. And he said that he had, um, when he was at college, a guy used to come and teach four of them. He used to travel for about four hours from mm. where he lived, come to the college, teach the four of them, and it was all you know, all technical stuff, all sticking mm. and rights mm. and lefts and paradiddles, and then he'd go away again and come back a week later, and if they hadn't done their work, they were in deep shit. So he did all that stuff right at the beginning, and mm. that was where he came from, and yet he would just drum a Rolling Stones song all the way through with nothing, except yeah. just an amazing backbeat. Yeah. But to think of all that underneath stuff that he doesn't use unless he needs, you know, that sense yeah. of um, restraint that he has, oh, yeah. and this beautiful, the beauty in his body. I had a, I I know Ricky pretty well and I had yeah. a, I had a couple of lessons with him because I wanted to get back into playing and I felt that you know I hadn't done it in so long and I never really had lessons but I thought he would be the person to talk to about it and he sat me down at his kit and um, played me a YouTube clip of um, Ahmad Jamal playing the song Poinciana it's a you know jazz standard right. with uh, Idris Muhammad on the drums. And he just plays with um, mallets, and he plays just a very, what, a deceptively simple groove on the toms, and just very occasionally hitting a cymbal. Right. It's mostly about the hi-hat. And you just think, Uh, oh, that's easy, and then you sit down to do it. And it's one of the great kind of, oh, this is a feel thing, uh, and not everyone's going to be able to get this. Yeah. And I just remember, as I struggled with it, (laughs) and struggled with it, and maybe got somewhere towards not being flat out terrible at it, but nowhere near what it's supposed to sound like. I yeah. just thought how clever it was of him to choose that, uh, you know, that piece. I must and write that down. I'll, I'll show you. I'll show it. you it after. It's yeah, yeah. It, yeah, no, it's it's just you know, and I guess that's you know, he's a, a, an amazing drummer and a good drum teacher. But just that moment yeah. was like one of the best lessons I've had. You know, <laughs> on the, on on an approach to drumming. It was yeah. just, and I often go and watch that clip and listen to that song and just think that's a great example of how to build a groove right. without showing off and the drummer that was doing it I mean he's one of the one of the greats that can right. do anything so yeah might try that with my five-year-olds yeah yeah <laughs> um well we've had a good old chat is there anything else you want to we've, we've plugged your album we've plugged your tour i'm gonna i'm gonna have links to that we've talked about the beat rhythm gigs and album is there anything you desperately want to put across that i haven't asked you no just thank you for being interested <laughs> oh it's fun you it's you know it's that's why i do it it's fun it's nice to get people telling their stories i mean you've intersected with so many interesting people <laughs> I mean, you've made a you've made a really great album here you've made lots of great music but you've also intersected with some interesting people at some interesting times and, and no yeah. doubt in their lives as you've sort of sort of put across you know like You've, you've been in bands when they're at their peak or approaching yeah. it. Yeah. And then bands that people are talking about now that they didn't talk about much at the time. Yeah. 
And bands like, you know, how many, do you know how many drummers there have been in the spine? It's sort of spinal tap like, right? And you were one of the first. No, I don't know how many. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's about 20. I think it's, because Ricky was in, Ricky was in the spines for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see some faces. That yeah. Names don't come to me. Yeah. 20, you reckon? Um, it's 15 or 20, Good I reckon. Good Yeah. <laughs> the way we do things in Wellington.